0: Well, if you take your Bibles now, please, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to draw your attention to verses 14 and 15, especially verse 15. Now, in order that uh, mothers and mothers to be and grandmothers might be inspired, I want to direct your attention to a woman named Eunice. Perhaps you forget who Eunice is, but you'll find out in a minute. I would hope also that uh, the lessons that we consider today will also be helpful to those of us who are not mothers. This is, after all, a worship service of the living God for the Church of Christ. So it needs to be helpful for all of us. And uh, it should be because we all who are Christians, are surely committed to and want to be used for the purpose of raising up a generation of young men and women who know and love and want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be useful, all of us, in uh, having ministry to children and young people in the church so that they might know Christ and live for Christ. It's not just parents, their parents who are interested in that. All the rest of us must be involved in and interested in and prayerful about that particular goal. So, to that end, we're going to think about Eunice. And not much is known about Eunice, but uh, what is known is brilliant and inspiring and a tremendous example to all of us. So let me speak to you, first of all, about Timothy's mother, because that's who she was. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. As for you, Timothy, continue in what uh, you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, now we're going to think, as I said, about this woman who under God, was responsible for Timothy's upbringing. It was an upbringing which was marked, as Paul says, by liberal doses of the Bible from his earliest days. Now Eunice then was a married woman. We know from Acts chapter 1, that uh, rather Acts chapter 16, verse 1, that she was married, and she was married to an unbeliever. It would seem that while Timothy's mother was a believer, she was married to a Greek man who the scripture indicates is, was not a believer. Now, in some cases, in those days, when a woman was married to an unbeliever and she was a Christian, um, that presented some dangers for her. And if you read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and following, you'll see that Peter's touching on that kind of scenario, And he's trying to encourage and give some comfort and instruction to women in that kind of situation where they faced some real danger because an unbelieving husband could and was allowed to be violent. Now, there's no suggestion that that was the kind of thing that was going on here, but it certainly was uh, a reality in the first century and in subsequent centuries as well. Now, although it's... Doesn't, we don't have any indication that that was the situation in Timothy's home. Marrying and being involved, uh, being, having a, an unbeliever as a husband, um, was not an easy road, as you can well imagine. And so there's wisdom in what the Bible has to say, and in Paul's prohibition with regard to believers and who they might marry. Paul makes it very clear that believers are to marry in the Lord. And that's why we always counsel young people not to date unbelievers because the purpose of dating is to find somebody that you might want to marry. And so the purpose of dating then is clear. And so don't date unbelievers because the Bible is very clear that if you're a believer, you're not to marry an unbeliever. But this woman was was married. She uh, probably was married before she became a Christian. So she's married to an unbeliever she's not only a married woman, but she's a Jewish woman. She was Jewish and for some reason uh, she did not have her son Timothy circumcised as chapter 16 and verse 3 of Acts makes very clear. We don't know why she didn't have him circumcised. Um, It may be because of uh, the father or it may be because of some reason she had but um, uh, that Uh, Reason is not revealed to us, but what we do know is that she was committed enough as a Jew to make sure that her son was familiar with the Jewish scriptures. No circumcision, to be sure, but regardless of that, she made sure that he was familiar with what we call the Old Testament. And he was thoroughly familiar with... uh, the Old Testament scriptures. So she's a married woman and she's a Jewish woman and she was a believing woman. She was a Christian. She was a Jew who had believed, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. She had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We don't know when this happened. Uh, Timothy was probably converted about five years before this on Paul's first missionary journey when he first came to Lystra. And that's probably when he was converted, and maybe when she was converted. Though we don't know when she was converted, we know that she was converted. Paul, in chapter 1, makes it very clear that uh, she was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to think now if you're a child here or a young person, think about the fact that it's a wonderful blessing for you to be raised, born and raised into a Christian home. And don't take that for granted, you know. Don't take it for granted that you've been born into and raised in the context of a Christian home. Raised by parents who know Christ, who know the Bible, and who teach you the Bible, and who want to see you saved and brought to Christ. You mustn't take that for granted. You could just as easily have been born into a Muslim home. You could have been born into a Buddhist home. You could have been born into a Hindu home where they worship 300,000 gods. I met some Hindus one time, was in their home for lunch, and and the, the father who was a Hindu said to me, Over lunch, he says, Would you like me to show you our God? Well, yeah, show me your God. So he went to the cupboard and he brought out a little statue. He put it on the table. He says, That's our God. Can you imagine? You could have been born into that kind of home. You could have had a dad who said to you, Let me show you God. And now let me put God back in the cupboard. That could have happened to you. What's happened to you actually? Well, you've been born into a Christian home where well, your mother and father teach you about Christ, where well, they've told you the truth and they've taught you the Bible. You should be so very thankful for that. So you see, this this Eunice, she was a believer, and then she was an obedient woman. She was an obedient woman, she was obedient to the commands of God. We'll talk about these texts in just a little bit. But in the Old Testament, the Bible makes it very clear. God makes it very clear and gives very clear commands to parents that they're to teach the Bible and teach the truth to their children. Well, she did that. The commands were given, and she heeded those commands. She did what she was supposed to. She was, was adamant that she was going to teach her son Timothy the Holy Scriptures, so she was an obedient woman. And uh, I want to make it clear that she was obedient, not sinless. And she was an obedient woman, not a sinless woman. When I read, when I read statements from Christians on Mother's Day or leading up to Mother's Day, about mothers, I get the impression that, that mothers, Christian mothers, they're almost sinless. They're so wonderful. And I, I went to a few Christian websites and, and I, read, I read these descriptions of, of Christian mothers. And there were texts next to each of these descriptions. I won't tell you the text because I don't want to get that in your head because it was terrible exegesis. But these are things they told us about mothers. Mothers have an uncanny ability to bring people together. Trust, talking to a mother, trust that God bestowed a child upon you on purpose. He believed in you, so you should believe in yourself. Mothers, even when they feel the complete opposite, have a strength unlike any other. I mean, seriously. No matter what happens, you can always count on a mother to give you a love unlike any other. (laughs) And there are proof texts for these. A mother's joy is one that cannot be duplicated. Folks, (laughs) these are not biblical. Mothers are calm, wise, and kind. It is their job to pass down these qualities to their children and everyone around them, and we are to praise them for doing so. And so on and so on. Well, there aren't, I'm not saying there aren't elements of truth in these, but you can't say these things. They're just not, and then give them a biblical text and proof text. When I read these, it seemed to me that uh, this is sort of a Protestant version of Mariolatry. You know, they say that Mary was perfect. And at least one day of the year, Protestant Christians want to. Indulge in that kind of thing. This Eunice was not perfect. Like Mary and every other Christian woman, she was a sinner needed to be saved, and then, by the grace of God, lived a life marked by obedience. The tenor of her life was obedience. And one aspect of that obedience was that,, oh, she taught her son the Bible. Well, that's fabulous. That's wonderful. So this is who Eunice was. This is a brief sketch of Eunice. She was a married woman, a Jewish woman, a believing woman, and an obedient woman. Now secondly, Timothy's privilege. We think about Timothy's mother. Now, Timothy's privilege. What was Timothy's privilege? Well, it was the fact that he was taught the scriptures his whole life. He was taught the Bible his whole life. Now, a good... Biography will take you back into the life of its subject and will tell you about the people who influenced and who shaped uh, the subject of the biography, including, of course, parents and grandparents and so on and so forth. Because people are influenced by other people, especially by parents. And such was the case with Timothy. And Timothy's upbringing was a privileged one, and... Preeminent amongst the privileges that he enjoyed being raised by Eunice and Lois was the fact that uh, he knew the Holy Scriptures. He was given the Bible truth. If you've been raised in a Christian home and you're being raised in a Christian home and you know the Bible from your earliest days, you should stop for a moment and think about what a privilege that is. Every now and then, you should actually sit down and count your blessings and just enumerate in your mind, maybe on paper, just how blessed you are. And when you do that, well, you'll have a lot to say, but when you do that, you should realize that perhaps the greatest blessing you've been given is that the truth of God has been passed on to you. Because in that truth, you learn about Christ. What a blessing to have the Bible! See, that's the way God requires it to be in a Christian home. God requires that Christian parents pass on to you, the children, the truth of God. Listen to these verses from the Old Testament. Genesis 18 and verse 19, uh, God's talking about Abraham and he says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household After him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And so God says about Abraham, you're supposed to pass on the truth to your children. That's emphasized so strongly in the Old Testament, but also in the New. And that's why your parents have given you a Bible and taught you the scriptures. In uh, Exodus 12 and Exodus 13, you see they're being at that point taken out of Egypt. There's this great exodus going on. And God says to the parents, he says, now, when your children come and they say, what's the exodus all about? Or they are involved in the rituals that are given to uh, explain the exodus. When your children come and say, now, what does this mean, this, this ritual? Why do we do this? Well, you explain to them, God says, what that's all about. You tell them what the Bible is all about. You tell them what the religion is all about. You tell them about the the ways and the works and the words of God. And so Eunice reads all this, so she knows about this from the Old Testament. She says, well, now I have to do that, and I have to pass it on to my son. And she did. We read in Deuteronomy 4, verses 9 and 10, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. You know, these things, this great redemptive saving act of God where he brought them out of Egypt, and remember that act is just a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross, Now make sure that you explain these things to your children, that you pass these things on to your children. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before me, the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may may teach their children also. So pass this on to your children. And to your children's children, so that they will pass it on to their children. Isn't that fabulous? Strong emphasis, then, in the Scriptures. You teach your children the truth of God. You pass on the Word of God uh, to the children and to the children's children in the hopes and in the prayer that they will walk in the ways of God and obey the Word of God. So you're to, the Bible says you're to teach the Word to your children. It also says this. It says, impress the word on your children. Impress the word on your children. Remember now we're thinking about about, uh, Timothy's privilege. He was raised in a home where his mother was serious about teaching the word to her son. And she was serious about impressing the word on her son. Just turn for a moment to a a familiar passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses and verse 6. Deuteronomy 6. Verses 6 and 7. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So take these truths and teach them diligently to your children. So you're not simply to just teach them to your children. You're to teach them diligently to your children. That word means to impress. Impress it upon them. You don't just tell them about it in kind of a nonchalant way. The word uh, teach diligently is a word that means to sharpen. And so it's used in different ways in the Old Testament. It's used of God's judgment. God will sharpen the sword of his judgment. So it's used in that sense. It's used of words. Sometimes words can be sharp and piercing. You know, sometimes people say things that cut you to the heart. They hurt you. It's used in that sense. You can read about that in Proverbs. And then it's used of incisive teaching. And you're to teach your children in an incisive way. You're to teach them in a way so that the word goes right to their heart. Now, if you know about what the Bible says about depravity, you immediately think, hey, well, now I can't do that. And you're right. But you try to do that. I mean, you try to get it... Get. Are you listening to me? That kind of thing. You try to do that. And then you know that the sovereign God uses your words and uses his word to drive the truth right to the heart. So he's the one that does it, but you're the one that's trying. We're to impress the word upon their hearts. Because you see, God's not satisfied with people simply knowing in the head. It's not enough to simply know. The demons know. I mean, the devil knows that Jesus is the Savior of the world. God's not satisfied with us simply knowing. We're not satisfied with our children simply knowing about God and knowing about Jesus and knowing about salvation. We're praying that God will use us to make this teaching incisive, that it'll go right to their hearts, that they will, like Timothy, firmly believe. We want them to embrace the truth. We want them to firmly believe, to believe with their whole hearts what we pass on to them. Now, our, our children embrace things that we Give to them or pass on to them, don't they? When, when we give them food to eat, they ingest it, and happily, and they take it to their own to to themselves and they enjoy it. Think about the home that you provide. If they have people come by, they'll say, "Well, I I can show you my house. This this is my home. This is my house." You say, "Well, did you pay for it? No, I didn't pay for it, but this is my house." So they're happy to say, well, now, the house that my parents paid for, that's mine. But you see, what we're after is something much more profound than that kind of thing. What we're after is that they will say not only, you know, this house that my parents paid for and provided, you know, that's my house now, that's my home. Now, this God that my parents talk about, this salvation that they've explained to me, This word that they live by. This Jesus. Who is the center of their existence. He's my Jesus as well. This kingdom of which they are citizens. That's my kingdom. This church of which they're a part. It's my church. And this Savior is my Savior. That's what we want. We want them to embrace that. And you see, the children have to understand. It's not just enough for you to have an intellectual knowledge of the Bible and an intellectual acceptance of the truth. It's not enough to just have it up here. It has to be something personal Paul says in verse 14 but as for you continue in what you have learned and firmly believed it's not enough to just accept it it's not enough to just be in a Christian home, it's not enough if there's ten people in your home and nine of them are Christians and not you, that's not enough it's not enough to have have a family and they're all Christians and, and you're not but but it's okay because you're hanging out with, with Christians. Just because you can stand all day in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Right? You, have to, you have to actually embrace the truth. You have to believe in Jesus yourself. Then you're safe. You're not safe being a non Christian in a Christian home. See, and that's what happened with Timothy. Thank God. His mother taught him the scriptures. His mother impressed on him the Scriptures. And by the grace of God, uh, he was saved. So Eunice, you see, was doing what was required of her. And uh, she was teaching him the Holy Scriptures from childhood. That, That was the great privilege of Timothy's life. Now, throughout Israelite history... Uh, the primary responsibility of teaching the Bible to the children was was the responsibility of parents. And the same is true today. It's not the primary responsibility of the church to teach the children. It's not the primary responsibility of Christian schools. It's the primary responsibility of the parents. This then is on you. Thank God for, for churches who can help and Christian schools who can help and and homeschooling groups who can help. But the big job is yours to teach these truths to the children. After the exile, you know, the Babylonian exile, uh, you have the development of what became known as synagogue schools. There were synagogues where the believers would meet and synagogue schools where children were taught. And in that way, these synagogue schools assisted the parents in teaching the word of God to the children. And uh, the synagogue schools really supplemented and complemented their efforts. And in schools like that, at the synagogue and at the services in the synagogue, uh, they would would study uh, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. It became known as the Septuagint because it was prepared by 70 scholars. The Greek translation. But the fact of the matter is that the scriptures would be obtained buy those synagogues at great expenses. You couldn't go to a store and buy a copy of the scriptures. You couldn't go to the internet and download multiple copies of it. In those days, the scriptures had to be copied very carefully and by hand. So in the community, there was a synagogue and there was, in all likelihood, one copy, in that whole community, one copy of the scriptures. It was in the synagogue. And there it would be read, and there it would be taught. People generally would not have copies of the scriptures themselves. And that's why teachers in the synagogue, schools, and parents would urge upon all, and especially children, the memorization of scriptures. Because you couldn't say, well now, now where's that verse? Let me check my Bible. Because you didn't have one. So you memorized scriptures. Scriptures. What a privilege to have a Bible. How many children here have, have your own Bible? Just Put your hand up if you have your own Bible. Your own, put your, so I can see. Isn't that amazing? Like, your own? Is it your own? Like it's yours? It's got your name in it? Does it have your name in it? Yeah? Says Ellen? Really? Isn't that great? Now, maybe you don't think that's a privilege, but it is. When Jesus was living, children didn't have their own Bibles. People didn't have their own Bibles. So you should should be thankful that God has seen seen fit to give you your own Bible. Now, why is that such a blessing? Well, because it's God's Word. This is like no other book. I have lots of books. I have tons of books, and I... It's fant- I have some fantastic books, but I have one book like this. Only one book is God's Word. Here in the Bible, it's absolutely perfect. There's not one thing that's untrue. There's not one thing that's even just a little bit off. Where you say, well, it's kind of true, but it's just a little dodgy here and there. Nope, there's nothing like that in the... It's absolutely perfect. That's why it's such a privilege, because it's God's word. And it's such a privilege because it's God's salvation. You look at verses 14 and 15. Paul says, "...continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation." Now, you read the first part of the chapter, and as I said, it tells you there about how wicked people are. Well, the Bible comes, God gives us a Bible so that we can learn how to be saved from that sin, about Jesus who saves us from that sin when we believe in him. And so that's why it's such a privilege to be raised in a Christian home where mom and dad are teaching you about the Bible, so that you can be saved. Now they're doing all kinds of things for you that are good. Now this is the best thing. Now they do all kinds of things that are good. And if you're a mom or dad or you're going to be a mum and dad, you, well, you, you know, there are all kinds of things that you do that are important. You, you sustain them, don't you? Well, you give them food and a roof over their heads so that they don't perish. That's important in Canada. You sustain them, and and then you you civilize them. You know it's important to civilize them. You don't want to raise barbarians. You know they know how to use a knife and a fork. They know uh, they know about etiquette. That's important. They know about uh, how they ought to behave in public. And when they go off into the public or visiting somebody, you always say, "Well, now remember this and remember that," and please and thank yous and. So on and so forth. Young men should open doors for young ladies and so on and so forth. Now that's important. You, you civilize them. Then you sanctify them, at least at a superficial level. You, you try to make sure they behave nicely and they smile and they do all the rest, that kind of thing. And you educate them. You familiarize them with, with all the different schools of the, the different disciplines of thought, and all the body of knowledge that uh, is encapsulated in things like encyclopedias we, these are all important things for them but there's absolutely nothing that comes close to educating them in the things of God because you don't want them to to sink into hell well educated so you teach them about Christ and you pray that they'll be rescued And you put the Bible in their heads and pray God will put it in their hearts. And so, again, children, you have to be very thankful that your parents, with all their faults, and they know and everybody knows that they have faults. You're not the only one who notices those, you know. We all have faults, and they all do things wrong. But what a blessing for you that they taught you about the Bible, that they taught you about Jesus so that you can be saved. And some of you are already saved. That's that's hard to express how wonderful that is. So you want to thank the Lord for that, that he's given you parents who teach you the Bible. You know, in in the first part of this, uh, this epistle, We read that uh, in verse 5 of chapter 1, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you also. Paul says that's wonderful. This faith dwelt in your grandma and in your mom, and now it's in you. But you see, he's not saying that we kind of pass it on like through genetics. Some of you are learning about genetics. It doesn't pass on like that. You don't inherit it. You know, when your mom and dad die and there's, there's a will and they read about all the things that are passed on to you, my kids will get just a rich boatload of books. But you can't pass on faith like that. You don't inherit that. That's a work of God through his word. That's a miracle of grace by the Spirit. So you believe. Anyway, this is is Timothy's privilege. It's your privilege. How wonderful. Now let's talk about some implications. We talked about his mother and his privilege. Let's talk about some implications. And the first is this. Uh, This is an exhortation to parents to use every means possible to impart the word to your children. Use every means possible. In verse 15, Paul says, from Childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures. From childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures. That word childhood is used sometimes of, of children in the womb. Not all the time, but sometimes it's used of children in the womb. I'm not, I'm not saying that you should talk to the children when they're in the womb. I mean, I think people do that. They play Mozart and maybe they read scriptures to them. I don't know. If you want to do that, that's I'm not. I'm not saying that you should do that. But what I am saying is that from the earliest days, you teach them the Bible. Uh, John Calvin says that Timothy sucked in godliness with his mother's milk. That's, that's a quaint uh, little commentary on Timothy's experience. Proverbs twenty two six says, "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it." The point is. From the very beginning, tell them about the Bible. You'd be surprised how much they can understand. You'd be surprised how quickly they grasp and how quickly they come up with very challenging questions. Well, Dad, if that's the case, what about this? Makes you think you'll grow as well. To teach them the Bible from the earliest days. have, Have family devotions where you sit down and you tell them about the Scriptures and you study the Scriptures together and and that's more or less a formal time but it doesn't have to be a an awkward time or a or a, a stiff time you can use all kinds of things to make it an enjoyable time and you you read through the bible and you explain and you ask questions and Give opportunity for answers and you let them ask questions and maybe you sing and maybe you use different books and, and maybe you tell them stories and maybe you use a children's version of Operation World and you tell them about countries and you pray for people in other countries. All kinds of things. You're so creative. Bring that creativity to your family devotions and in that way you're, you're teaching the Bible uh, to your children and it's wonderful. And then you, you complement that as Deuteronomy 6 six and 7 makes very clear. You complement those formal times with informal times. And you're driving along and you see a tree and you say, oh, God made a tree, didn't he? And all kinds of things like that, informal things. When you're playing sports and uh, when you're disciplining, all kinds of informal times when you, you, know, you use those opportunities to teach your children the truth of God. So use every means possible To impart the word to your children. Secondly, back up your teaching with your life. Back up your teaching with your life. Back in chapter one, Paul talks about your genuine faith. He says, This genuine faith that lived in your grandmother and in your mother, and now I'm I'm sure this it's in you genuine faith. Well, that's unfeigned faith. That's unhypocritical faith. That's faith that's not just talk. You know, where you talk about it, you say, well, I'm a Christian, but it's all just talk because your life doesn't back it up. No, this is genuine faith. And you can see the reality of the faith in the way in which you live. And so your children look at you, and your children look at us, and they see genuine faith Faith that is really lived out in the life. Now, just turn over for a moment to Titus chapter 2. Just over the page to Titus chapter 2. Now, if you look at verses 1 to 5, there's instruction there for older men and older women. We'll start at verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior Uh, They're uh, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Notice this. That the word of God may not be reviled. Live this way, that is a godly way, so that the word may not be reviled. Now go down to verse 10. And he says that... uh, The servants, he mentioned servants in verse 9, the servants are to behave also in a certain way in their workplace. And verse 10 says, Not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So our godly lives, even the lives of these servants here, it's important so that the word of God is not reviled. It's important so that our lives Adorn the gospel. So we pass the gospel on to people and our lives make the gospel attractive. Because people say, okay, I understand the gospel, but what does it do? Well, they look at your life. You see, you're transformed. You're a godly person. All these virtues, the kind of virtues that you see in Jesus, we're now seeing that in you. Isn't that marvelous? People say, well, oh, that's an attractive gospel. Look at what it produces. It produces this kind of transformed life, this kind of godly life. So Timothy would have looked up and he saw his mother, and he would have looked and he saw his grandmother. His genuine faith in them made the gospel attractive to him. That's why it's important, you see, then to, to live in such a way as does not undermine the gospel, doesn't cut the legs out from under the gospel but just shows the genuineness of it and the real power of the gospel. Now, again, I have to emphasize it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. By no stretch, the Bible is very clear that perfection doesn't come until we reach glory. But that's okay, you see, because whilst we're living in this world, the Lord uses humility. The Lord uses repentance to impress the gospel on other people. And so when you as a mom or dad acknowledge your sin to your children, when you acknowledge that you've failed, when you acknowledge um, that you've, you've disobeyed in this way or that way, and when they see your true penitence and when they see the humility of that penitence, that makes quite an impression, doesn't it? You don't want to be the kind of mom or dad, Christian mom or dad, who just never says sorry. No, there's repentance is part and parcel of our life in this world as Christians. And then when the children see that, oh, they see see genuine Christianity. So then, as I say, your life must be consistent with the truth Thirdly, well, thank God for an extended family. Thank God for, and, and hopefully that extended family adorns the gospel as well. What we have here with, um, with Eunice is you have a godly grandmother. And You look at chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. So the Bible doesn't say anything negative about Lois. It doesn't say that she, as a grandmother, sinfully indulged her grandchildren. It doesn't say that she mischievously interfered with the raising of her children, her grandchildren. No, what it says, it puts her here. There's one time she's mentioned in the Bible, and it's to say... She is a godly example. Well, that's what all the rest of us want to be. You know, We want to be godly examples. We want to live godly before the children. It's wonderful to have a, an extended family of Christians then who, who will blend their witness with yours. So you have, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and so forth who are Christians, and they're, they're just adding their witness to your witness. And there are aunts and uncles and siblings and, and cousins here, and, 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 and that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're adding your, your witness to that of the parents. Well, that's a wonderful thing. And we have to adorn the gospel in that way. So thank God for, for that kind of thing. And then uh, trust the Lord for the wonder of his ways. Before I go on, I should say that it ought to be true also of the Christian family. Thank God for the Christian family. Because, you see, what's really important is that the rest of us here, who are not related to these particular children here, but we are related in another way. See, we're, we're part of the church, and here are a brother and sister, they're raising their children, and we want to support them. We want to encourage them. We want to encourage these parents as they're raising their children. We have a responsibility and we have a privilege. We want to come alongside of them and help them. We need to be careful then, those of us who are not raising children here, we do our part. We have a very important part. We must make sure that um, that these, uh, these children, when they're when they're looking beyond their family, their immediate family, when they're looking at the Christian family, they're looking at people whose lives adorn the gospel. Do our lives, as we live them before the children here, are we adorning the gospel? So, I mean, look at the way, look at the way, you know, we interact with them. Look at the way we talk to them. Look at the way we, or do we take an interest in them? Uh, Do we, we chat with them, you know? And is that then part of our adorning the gospel as we try and support the witness of the parents? Now, you know, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a, just a, that cranky old guy at church, you know? So the kid goes running there, and I say, well, just running a little fast in the church. And what are you doing? Where's your parents? I would never let my kids do that. You know, stuff like that. Well, shame on me if I do that. So, yeah, you know, it's our responsibility and privilege to adorn the gospel and, and, and be the, the hands and feet of Christ and, and the lips of Christ to these kids. What a privilege, you know. What a privilege. They're not an annoyance, you know. Oh, it'd be be a lot quieter if we weren't kids here. (gasps) Like a morgue, yeah. No, they're not an inconvenience. (sighs) They're a delight. And if you know, if you have a baby and your baby's just making a noise in church, I say bless God to have that kind of sweet noise in a church. You know. But don't let it go on too long. I mean, you know, go to the nursery. <laughs> I, mean, I do want to finish a sermon, you know. But, but, you know, we don't resent that. That's wonderful. So, yeah, you know, it, that's why I said in a sermon like this, we, you know, the rest of us don't turn off. Okay, boy, I hope those mothers get the message today, boy. No, just, this affects us as well. Well, then i oh, I got to move on, speaking of finishing the message. So number four is trust the Lord and the wonder of his ways. Trust the Lord and the wonder of his ways. Clearly, God used someone other than, than Eunice to save Timothy and someone other than the grandmother to save Timothy. 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul's talking about Timothy. He says, my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. So God used, it seems, Paul to save Timothy. So Lois and Eunice did all the heavy lifting. They were, she was the one up in the middle of the night. She put up with his tantrums. She spanked him and so on and so forth. She did all the hard work and heavy lifting. And then God in the (laughs) fullness of his time brought Paul along and he saved. (laughs) So that's what God does. And that's what he may do with your children Oh thank God for that god 's timing isn't our timing, and God's instruments are not the instruments we might have imagined. But it doesn't matter if they're saved. Andrew Fuller had a son who was just a rascal, and he went his own way, and he got into all kinds of trouble. Andrew Fuller was a, a, a Calvinistic Baptist eighteenth century and, and a very prominent man, and um, Michael Haken's one of his favorites. And um, well he, well, this son was just a, just a rascal, and after Fuller died, this, this man was saved. Same with William Grimshaw. Grimshaw was a preacher in the 18th century, awakening along with Wesley and Wesley's and, and, and Whitfield and so on and so forth. And his son also was, was not a believer. And after Grimshaw had died, he, he was saved. So God's timing and God's instruments are not, uh, not what we might always imagine. But what do we do? Well, we, we, we do the best we can. We teach the Bible. We try to live a consistent life in front of them. Well, let me, let me read to you what Matthew Henry says. He puts it much more eloquently. He says, I know that you cannot give grace to your children, nor is spiritual life the guaranteed outcome of a spiritual upbringing. But if you make it a matter of conscience to teach your family, if you teach them the good and right doctrines of the Bible, if you counsel them and warn them about false paths, reprove, exhort, and encourage them, if you pray with them, set them a good example, then you will have done your part, and you may leave the rest with God. Leave it with the Lord. You bow at his throne, and you pour out your heart and you trust him. You leave it with him. Lastly, young people, treasure the Word of God. Great privilege of Timothy's life was to have the Bible taught to him. Same with you. So treasure the Word of God. How do you treasure the Word of God? Well, you believe in Christ. That's the, that's the right way to respond to the Word. You believe in the Lord Jesus. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus? You, you, have you believed? Are you saved? The second thing, in terms of treasuring the Bible, first is you make sure you're a Christian. And secondly, you, you live like it, and you tell other people. Because you notice what Paul said to Timothy. He said, um, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. So keep going. You don't say, well, you know, I'm a Christian now. I'm going to sit back. I'm just going to float to heaven. No, you say, well, I'm a Christian. Let's get busy. No, let me tell other people. Let me grow as a Christian. Let me learn all about the the Bible and all about the Lord Jesus so that, that I can glorify God by how I live. And let me tell them as well. Let me tell my friends. So Paul says, continue on. Keep going, keep going. Right? So, and know this, what we'll be praying for you. And if we can help you, we're more than happy to help you. But keep going. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your goodness to these children. Thank you for the parents who have sought to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Give them grace as they continue to do this work and bless these children to the saving of their souls and help us, the rest of us, uh, to be an encouragement to them, to be a blessing and to be a support and to be prayer warriors and use us all then for the glory of your name. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.